You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. My name is Micaiah, and I'm along with my wife. We are the lead and founding pastors here at Southridge. I'm so excited that you took us up on our invitation to come to Food Truck Sunday. So we're glad that you're here, each and every one of you. Thank you so much for making time in your schedule. We're looking forward to having really just a great day together. And uh, our church cares deeply for our community. And that's why every quarter we do a kind of a community event like this. where We can kind of gather together where not only we get to connect, but also where we get to let you know a little bit more about our church. Because we firmly believe that no matter if you are Catholic, Christian, atheist, Buddhist or Jedi Knight, you may be done with organized religion, but you're not done with God. I firmly believe that deep down inside, every person has some longing or connection that they want to keep with God. They want to grow deeper. And so that's why we, uh, once a quarter, we try to do something big with our community. Not only so we can get to know you, you can kind of get to know our church, but also that we get to connect about this topic of God and who created us and things like that. But before we dive in, uh, I try to teach and preach messages that'll be a help to you, to where you're at. So to do that, what I like to do is I kind of like to tailor, uh, customize the messages to kind of fit you and what you're going through and what's happening. So here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to connect with me via text message, okay? So I want to do a little survey. And if you'd like to do this survey, if you would text me at this number, okay? Here's the number. It's 408-337-0793. If you text the word food, it's going to send you a survey. Okay, I'll give you the number one time. Text me at 408-337-0793. Just text that word food to that number, and a little survey is going to pop up, and it's going to ask you three questions, okay? First question is this, and if you don't want to text it in to divulge your ever-secret number, then you can take your connection card that's located near you, and you can write in the comments, and here's what you can write. First question, what type of sermon would help you the most? Would it be on marriage, uh, dating? Would it be on relationships? Or would it be on parenting problems? Maybe we're dealing with parenting problems. Or would it be stress, anxiety, and depression? Or drawing closer to God? Second question. What is the greatest challenge or stress in your life? And please don't write down your spouse's name, okay? All right, they're right now next to you, so don't do that. I don't want you to get in trouble. Uh, You do that secretively. But what is the greatest stress or struggle in your life? Because here in the Bay Area... It's different here than it is everywhere else, right? If you're here, you know that there's a difference between here and L.A. There's just different stressors. It's different than New York. It's different than Austin, Texas. And so we have different challenges. Third question. This is what helped me. What is the greatest barrier between you and God right now? What is the greatest barrier between you and God? Because I'm praying that our church can be a help in breaking down barriers that would get between you and God. We want you to connect with God. We love food trucks, balloon animals, jump houses, live DJ. We love all that stuff. But the biggest thing our church cares about is this big question we're going to talk about this morning. And that has to do with your relationship with God. How is it doing? Now, 
I was riding in the car with my oldest daughter, Megan, who's nine years old. She's a sweetheart, love her to death. And uh, we were driving down Blossom Avenue yesterday, and she saw all the Halloween decorations. And she said, Halloween is my favorite holiday. And we were like, oh, really? Why is that? She said, because you get free candy. And I was like, oh, yes. And I was like, it's your favorite? She's like, it's my favorite. Better than Christmas? Better than Christmas, she said. And I was like, excellent. I'm going to give you candy instead of presents. And then she thought about it. She's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, then she rethought. She liked presents more than she liked candy. How many of you, you love Halloween, though? Let me see your hands. You love Halloween. Isn't it fun? How many of you don't even, you still like to dress up? Come on, I'm with you. Dressing up is kind of fun. It's fun. All right. Uh, how many of you, you don't get free candy, but you eat your kids' free candy? Yes, there we go. That's what I'm talking about. You're like, Jimmy Kimball told me to do it. All right. So blame it on him. Excellent. Yes. So we all love Halloween. Now, here's the thing about me and Halloween. I don't do scary. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I just, uh, I don't like scary way more than the average normal person. I don't do scary, okay? You say, what do you mean you don't do scary? Okay, here's scary for me, okay? This is scary for me. When I watch Stranger Things, I do it like this, okay? Okay? That's how I watch Stranger Things. You're laughing, but I'm serious, all right? And I like having the remote because if it gets too intense, too traumatic, and I'm not going to sleep well that night, I fast forward. I do. I really do. It's just too much, okay? All right? And that mind flare, man, he gets me, all right? So I'm just like, oh, fast forward. You say, what, where did all this start? It started because my parents let me watch the original version of Wizard of Oz. And I'm like, why would you do that to a traumatize a kid? Those flying monkeys, I've never recovered. There's a whole lot of therapy I'm paying for because of those flying monkeys, all right? Man, I'm telling you what, my worst nightmare is flying monkeys, all right? So just that, that did me in. And then one time, I was a young adults leader for a church, and they wanted to go to a haunted maze or a haunted mansion. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. No, can't we just go to like Chuck E. Cheese or something, you know, like something safe, calm. I'll pay for everybody's arcades or something, you know. They were like, no, we're going to the Haunted Mansion. I was like, all right, but here's one condition. I'm in the middle of the group. Y'all surround me because a zombie can eat you, you, and you, but it's not getting me. And I'll push you into the guy with the chainsaw, all right, because I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be all right. Okay, I don't do, so I went through that, that scary maze, the haunted mansion. Man, I ran through that thing as fast as I could, all right? Just say I did it. Because I don't do scary. I really don't do scary. How many of you, you can handle scary? Let me see your hands. You can handle scary. Oh, man, look at you. Okay, how many of you, you're going to go to uh, Great America for their Halloween haunt? You just, you just know you're going to go for it. Oh, yeah, there we go. A couple brave people. There we go. These are the people, when the zombie apocalypse happens, go to their house. They're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. They probably already have a machete in the garage and a mask. They're ready. They're looking forward to it, okay? They are packed and ready for the zombie apocalypse, all right? And when it comes to things that have to do with scary, scary things, you say, why, why do we have this risk aversion to scary things? A lot of it happens because we're afraid of death. We're afraid of the unknown. We don't want to deal with that. We don't want to necessarily talk about it. We don't even want to confront it sometimes because some of us, death is all too real, isn't it? We've lost somebody recently or we've been through the, the passing of a loved one. And so when it comes to this topic of death, it's, it's something we don't always want to talk about. Uh, right prior to the service, I talked with uh, uh, someone and uh, uh, when, when I was talking to them, they said, it's so funny, we heard this message about death because just yesterday they were having that conversation with their son. And, and they said, it just, you don't always want it to come up, but it's one of those topics you just kind of uh, think about. 
and, and it comes up, and, and I, I remember the 2008 commencement address that Steve Jobs gave at Stanford University. And during the commencement address, he talked about death, and he said this about death. He said, when it comes to death, death is life's great change agent. It's the way that death kind of gets rid of the old to make way for the new. And so you and I, we hear stuff like that, and it's, so it seems like death is normal. How many of you have ever heard somebody say something like this, that death is a normal part of life? Can I see your hands? Yeah, we've all heard it, right? It's interesting. Because death actually wasn't supposed to be a normal part of life. Do you know that? You see, when God created us, God is full of three things, love, light, and life. Death was never a part of the equation. Death happened because of something called sin. That's where death was entered in. So it's something that when it comes to death, this is not something we were always supposed to deal with. As a matter of fact, it was never part of God's original plan for you and I to face death. But it is something we're going to have to face, right? But how do we face it well? There's a writer by the name of Paul. He writes a book entitled Philippians, and it's just four verses. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd love for you, if you brought a Bible, can you turn to Philippians chapter 1 this morning? If you didn't, that's not a problem. It'll be up on a screen. I want to look at four verses, primarily just two verses, okay? And we're going to spend just a few minutes together. And I believe these verses have the power to impact our lives forever in a in a positive way. So let's look at Philippians chapter number one, if we can, verse number 20. It says this, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. What a great prayer. He wants to bring honor to God, whether he lives or whether he dies. That's powerful. But notice what he says in the very next verse. Verse number 21, for to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Whoa, is this guy depressed? Is he suicidal? Somebody get this guy a Xanax. Somebody give him a Molly. Somebody do something to pick this guy up. Maybe he needs a glass of wine or something, because that's a pretty heavy statement. To die is better? Really, Paul? I mean, Paul, you must be going through some stuff. I mean, your girl must have just left you or something, or somebody must have just totaled your car, or somebody must have just done something to your Instagram or, or something. Something bad must have happened. Your credit must have gotten hit or something. No. As a matter of fact, if you are familiar with this book of the Bible called Philippians, it's a book that's just four chapters, but the theme of these four chapters is one word. It's the word joy. All throughout this book, Paul talks about joy and how you can have joy, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. You say, what were Paul's difficult circumstances? He's writing from a Roman prison. He's writing from a terrible place, and he's on death row. He doesn't have long to live. And so here he's writing, and he's thinking about life and death. And he's saying, hey, living is good. I want to live. I want to bring honor to God. But guess what? Death is better. But notice, he goes on. The very next verse, he says this, For if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. What? I mean, I like life. I love my three children. I love my wife. I love my church family. I love the life that God has given me. And I'm, but I don't have debates on 
Hmm, it's a Sunday. It's October the 6th. It's about 10:45. Living's pretty good. Food trucks are good, but death. Hmm. No, I don't. I don't have those those conversations. But Paul is writing, so it's kind of disconnect. So if you came into this place and this is the first time you ever heard the Bible, you're like, "Whoa, what kind of book is this?" But notice what he goes on to say in this last verse. He says, "I am torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ." which would be far better for me. Whoa. Paul is saying something here. So here's the question. If Paul is saying to die is gain, what one translation says, then what does Paul know that I want to know? What does he know about death that I really want to know? Because if he can face death like that, I want to know it. And my prayer is that you would want to know it too. But before we really dive into that, I need us to play one more little game. Just humor me, okay? We're going to play a little game. It's called Name That Sound, okay? So I'm going to ask the media team to play a sound, and as soon as you hear that sound, just shout it out, okay? Just shout it out. Here, let's play the first one. Let's see if you can get it. Oh, now we got it. We said it too soon. Yes, there we go. Excellent. It is AOL. It's a modem. Dial-up modem. 56K. Come on. Bring back the 90s. Let's do it. Yes. All right. Some of you don't know nothing about having to log on. All right. And then if somebody's trying to make a phone call, they couldn't make a phone call because you're logging on. It's going to take you the next four hours of your life. Okay. So just to log on. All right. That's what that noise is. Excellent. Don't feel bad if you said telephone. The first hour said telephone too. Okay. Let's play another sound. Ooh, I heard Dell, and then I heard from here Intel. Whoever said Intel, you are correct. But it sounds like Dell. It's that Intel, the Intel chip, ISV7 processor or whatnot. That's it. All right, let's play another one. Oh, now the gamers come out. Okay. You think it's PlayStation? It's Xbox 360. But that's good. Gamers, you got it. It's good. All right. Excellent. I got one final sound for you. Let's play this last one. Code blue, cardiac arrest, when Micaiah gets scared, that's what happens, okay? It's called flatlining. Flatlining. What Paul is talking about is he's saying, all of us, one day, our heart is going to flatline. We all have a date with destiny. We all have an appointment that we can't reschedule. It's something we can't move. You ever had an appointment with somebody you really didn't want to take that appointment, so you keep rescheduling them, postponing it? And I'm not just talking about your dental visit either. You know, oh, no, 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 next week doesn't work good for me. You know, next year doesn't work either. I'll see you in a decade or two. Matter of fact, just give me dentures now, okay? Let them rot out, and I'll put the dentures in. It seems easier, way easier. I don't floss. I don't brush. My poor wife, you know? I mean, it's just like, no, no, no. And, and it, there's these appointments, and a doctor, we keep putting it off. There's these things that you just say, I'm not going to do these things. I'm not going to meet with them. 
But here's the thing. When it comes to our appointment with death, we can't avoid it. I said it like this. There's a new term people are saying today. When uh, you're texting somebody, calling somebody, messaging somebody, and they're not replying, it's called ghosting them. (laughs) Write this down. This is so good. You're going to love this. You can't ghost the Holy Ghost. You can't do it. You can't do it. When it comes to death, you can't ghost the Holy Ghost. You can't avoid it. You can't miss it. There's nothing you can do. He will find you. As a matter of fact, the psalmist said, if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take this in the wings of the morning, behold, even there thou art. Whether can I go from your presence? Behold, thou art there. So everywhere we go, God is there. So when it comes to us trying to run from God, God is saying, guess what? No, you can't run from me. You can't run from this appointment. This appointment is set. Now, I know when it comes to you and I, we want to say, hey, no, I'll avoid this. Or maybe you take the thought that you say, you know what, when it comes to death, uh, you know what, that might be, Pastor, your interpretation. But I believe, like, death is going to kind of be for me just before I was born. I don't remember anything. It was all blank. Guess what? After death, it's all going to be blank. And so if you have that viewpoint, guess what? You could be right. And let's just say maybe you're right. Then you have nothing to fear. But if I'm right, and what Paul is saying is right, you have everything to lose. There's a great quote, and uh, somebody sent it to me after the first message, and he said, this would be really good. And I thought of it, it said this, I would rather live my life for God and find out there isn't one than live my life like there isn't a God and find out there is one. You see, when it comes to God, we have this appointment. See, all of our hearts one day are going to flatline. But what we do is in the meantime, when it comes to our heart, we know that there's something about us that desires more. So we try to fill our hearts with stuff because we don't want to think about death. We don't want to think about depressing or discouraging things. So we fill our lives with things. We'll fill it with uh, relationships. We'll fill it with uh, success. We'll fill it with work. We'll fill it with stuff. We'll buy houses. We'll get more cars. We, We buy more clothing. And we're trying to fill this void because deep down inside, guess what? We're eternal beings that have eternal desires that temporal desires don't fill. In Ecclesiastes chapter number 3, verse number 11, the Bible says this, He has set eternity in our hearts. So when it comes to you and I experiencing eternity, God is saying, I set it in your heart. You see, here's the thing. You and I aren't eternal the moment we die, then we become eternal. That's not when eternity starts. Eternity actually started the moment you were born. That's when eternity started. See, the moment you're born, you are an eternal being. Your body may die, but guess what? Your soul is going to live on forever. The question is, there's two destinations. Where are you going to spend eternity? Because you are eternal, and you're going to live eternally somewhere. So Paul says, guess what? For me in this life, it's been good. I've enjoyed it, but guess what? It hasn't been fulfilling. It hasn't been satisfying. So guess what? To be with God would be far better, far better. Because he's recognizing something you and I need to recognize is that one day our heart will flatline. You see, and at that moment we need to say, wait a minute, what can satisfy? You see, you're looking for things to satisfy and you're just finding that, guess what? It's not fulfilling the desires because God created you after his image, an eternal being. So you have eternal desires, something that'll that'll, that'll actually quench that thirst. And so Paul, he's reminding us that, guess what? One day... Our heart will flatline. But the flatline, number two, is not the finish line. You see, the moment 
you and I pass away, it's, it keeps going. You see, this earth, maybe you get 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, that'd be great. I have a grandfather, he's 94 years old. He's, he's lived a long time. But guess what? The moment he passes away, guess what? That's not the end of his life. It's not the end of his story. And guess what? It's not going to be the end of your life. It's not going to be the end of your story. It's going to keep on going. So the question this morning is, where are you going when your life keeps on going? Do you know that? You see, Paul, he can face death, and he can face it with a smile. Now, here's the thing about Paul. He's looking at death. He's on death row, and he's looking at death. And here's the amazing thing. He's not afraid of death. As a matter of fact, Paul is looking death in the eye, and this is what he's doing. He's winking at it. Because he's not afraid of death. And neither should you and I be. We should wake up with a confidence in Christ because Jesus, he said, guess what? You don't have to taste death. I've tasted it for you. You can have eternal life in heaven. You can receive Jesus as your Savior. You see, too often we look for other things to help us to get by. And Paul is reminding us that, guess what? The flat line is not the finish line. We need to make a decision to receive Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do I do that? I, I want that. You see, Paul, he reminds us of something. He says, hey, to live with God is far better. What is he saying? That you and I don't have to fear the flat line. That's number three. You and I do not have to fear the flat line. You see, it's coming. I can't change it. I can't stop it. I can't foresee it. It can happen at any moment. That's why I don't do haunted mansions. I don't need to speed anything up, okay? And that's why I won't ride with some of you in your car, okay? I just don't need to fast forward this thing, okay? Some of you have seen you drive. You're terrible. How'd you get your driver's license? Man, I failed three times and I drive better than you, all right? It's just like I see you out on the road and I'm just like, who gave you a license? Then I find out they don't have one. Okay, all right, that explains a lot. You're like, I learned on Mario Go-Kart. Yes, where I got my license. No. You see, when it comes to life, we're trying to extend our life, not shorten it. I mean, we do all kinds of things. We even drink kale. Who does that? It's nasty. It's gross. I don't care if our bodies will look better if we drink kale. It's not worth it. Die young, make a pretty corpse. It's all good. All right? Kale's nasty. But we do all these things. Why? We want to live longer. We exercise. Why? We want to take care of our bodies. We, we uh, uh, worry about when we go out in the sun, we put sunscreen on. Some of you don't have to. I'm a little bit lighter and I burn easily my European skin. I don't tan. I just turn, turn bright red like a lobster and then I peel and I go back to white. Okay? It's just what happens. All right? It's miserable. It's what I deal with. All right? And uh, when it comes to things, we protect ourselves. Why? We're trying to take care of our lives. I mean, we have children. When our children get on a bicycle, we put a little helmet on them. We put the elbow pads. We put the knee pads. And then we put bubble wrap around them. (laughs) Have fun. I can't move. Exactly. Stay there until you're 19. You know, then we just want to protect our children. Anything valuable to us. We care about them. Some of you grew up in the day and age where a school like this would not have a fence as high as this fence that goes around the school. Some of you remember the days where you'd go to school and there wasn't metal detectors. You remember the days where now the newer schools are built with rooms in case there's an active shooter where the kids are told to hide. It's a different day. It's a different age. 
So are we supposed to live in the fear of the flat line when Paul declaratively, definitively is saying, hey, you do not have to fear the flat line. Then what do I need to know? And I'm so glad you asked because there was another person that asked Jesus the exact same question. His name was Nicodemus. He was a religious leader. And he came to Jesus by night because he didn't want anybody to see him. So he comes to Jesus and he asks him the same question about how do I have eternal life? And Jesus kind of looks at him and says, hey, aren't you a teacher of the law? Aren't you religious and you don't have the answer? And he looks at Jesus and says, no, actually, I don't. You see, Jesus wanted him to get honest about his situation. And then Jesus said, you must be born again. And at that moment, he said, can I enter again into my mother's womb when I'm old and grown? And Jesus said, no, no, you don't understand. A spiritual birth is just as traumatic and just as dramatic as a physical birth because there's a total change that happens. I don't know about you, but I was there for all three of my kids being born, okay? And all of them were great. It's a miracle of life. But what you ladies have to go through is incredible, and I'm so thankful to you and not me. Can I just say that? Because the needle that they put into your spine is so big when the guy pulled it out of that little suitcase he has. And the fact that he brings it in a suitcase is kind of disturbing. I'm just glad the guy that worked on my wife didn't have a little trombone case, like a little mobster movie, like, all right, we're gonna shoot you, you know? And uh, so pulls out the anesthesiologist and I was like, he makes so much money to shoot people in the back with this long needle. And he's like, oh, that's not the needle. He's like, this needle goes in between the vertebrae. Then there's another needle inside of this needle. And then I lost it. And then the nurses were no longer, I kid you not, okay? I have a really weak, weak, weak stomach. And so the nurses left Jane. She's about to have a baby. They go to me, they're fanning me. And I'm like, oh, I need some ice chips. Oh, anybody, I need something. My wife just was not happy at that moment. Let's just put it like that. She was like, are you kidding me? She was in labor for about 14 hours. And Megan uh, would not come out because Megan uh, was one ounce shy of being 10 pounds. Now, if you've seen me, you're like, where did that come from? Yeah, I have no idea, okay? And the same thing with my wife. We're, we're, we're not real tall, muscular people at all, so we don't, we don't know. So people nicknamed my daughter Megan Megatron. They were like, she's so big. She's so big. I mean, they tried everything that they could do, okay? So you've seen those Circus Olay dancers. They have that to help you give birth. And you didn't know that Kaiser will bring in this stuff. Yeah, I'm telling you what, it's crazy. And then, yeah, the C-section, Megan came out. She looked like a little Buddha statue. Cutest thing. Cutest thing. Just adorable. But here's the thing. That was traumatic. That was a moving experience. But God is saying, hey, the moment you become born again, become a Christ follower, is that dramatic. You're changing worlds. You go from breathing water, which when you're in the mother's tummy, you breathe water. And then the moment you come out, you scream, you start breathing air. Your lungs, within a split second, change. Did you know that? That you were breathing, you, you were amphibious. You, you, were, you were like Poseidon, okay? You could breathe underwater. You were Aquaman. And then you were born and messed it all up. Sorry. All right? But here's the traumatic birth. And Jesus is saying, hey, the moment you're born again, it's that traumatic. Everything changes. Everything about you changes. Your desires, your likes, your dislikes, what you think about, how you behave, it all changes. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to fear that flat line. You can embrace it. And so Jesus is telling Nicodemus this, this powerful verse. And then he says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, who, who, to this earth, that whosoever will may 
become his. Whoever believes in him will be saved. So Nicodemus is asking this question, and at that moment, he answers him. He says, hey, here's this amazing verse, John 3, 16, probably the greatest verse in the whole Bible, and he tells it to him. And Nicodemus just kind of takes it in. And it doesn't show until later that, sometime later, that Nicodemus followed Christ. But my prayer is that you wouldn't wait to follow Christ, but today you would make that decision. That today would be that day. You say, hey, I'm following Christ today. I'm not going to wait. And so Nicodemus, he made that decision. John 3, 16 happened. This powerful verse. Here's what's so amazing about this verse. There was a, a NFL player. His name was Tim Tebow. He's now trying Major League Baseball. But, but when he was playing for the Broncos, he put John 3, 16 in his eye black. And after a playoff game, a reporter came up to him and said, hey, do you realize what just happened? And he said, no. He said, you have John 3, 16 on your eye black. He said, yes, I know. He said, Here's what's so cool. He said, during the game, you threw for 316 yards. He said, your downs per completion was 31.6. Your yards per rush were 31, 30, or were 3.16. The ratings for the night were 31.6. And the time of possession was 31.06. And during the game, 91 million people Googled John 3.16. It's powerful. The power of John 3.16 is that whosoever will may come. Whosoever will, it's open to anybody. It doesn't matter your past, your background, no matter what you've been through. Jesus is saying, hey, whosoever will may come unto me. He said, I'm not going to discriminate. I'm not going to block you from coming. He's saying, hey, if you want to receive Jesus, then today's the day. Today is the day to receive Christ into your heart. Don't wait on it. Don't stop. He's saying, hey, receive Jesus him. You say, what do I get when I receive Jesus? You get three things. You get, number one, forgiveness for sin. You and I, were sinners. We're sinners. And Jesus died to cover that sin penalty. But when we came here today, guess what? Jesus died in our place. Why? So that you and I, when we come to church, we don't have to bring a bull on our car or some turtle doves. And there's no altar where we drain the blood out and put it on it. Why? Because Jesus poured out his blood. We get forgiveness of sins. Not only do we get forgiveness of sins, we get a friend. The Bible says Jesus is the, brother that's, is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. But more importantly, we get a future. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, you know what? But yes, God loves all the good people here, but he just doesn't love me. That's where you'd be wrong. You see, God's love is come to chase you down. It's a reckless kind of love. It's a love that doesn't make sense. Why would Jesus leave his kingdom to come to a lesser kingdom, to become a lesser person, to reach you and I? It doesn't make sense. The only way I can properly illustrate it is by sharing a story of an incident that happened in 1988 in the country of Romania. You see, in 1988, December 1st, there was an earthquake. It was an 8.2 earthquake that hit the city. That magnitude of an earthquake registers like 10 atomic bombs were dropped on a city. Before the earthquake hit, a father took his son to school. He dropped off his son at school and said, son, I love you. Do you know that your father loves you? Son looked at his dad. Yeah, dad, I know you love me. He said, you know, son, I'll do anything for you. <laughs> dad, I know you would do anything for me. He said, no, son. 
if anything were to ever happen to you, you can count on me. I will come for you. He said, okay, dad, all right, I got to go to school. I got to go to class. The father drove away, and as he was driving away, he saw his buildings begin to collapse as that earthquake began to hit. He quickly made his way to his home. He checked on his wife, made sure she was okay, but then his mind raced back to the school and to his son. He gets back in his car, and he makes his way through the debris, and he gets to the school, and it's flat. The three-story building is completely demolished. Tears begin to just well up in this father's eyes and a cry from deep in his soul cries out because his son is in that building. And as he begins to just grieve, a thought hits him. Where's my son's classroom? And he starts to make his way over to where the classroom is and he starts to, with his bare hand, just move rock and rubble and cement, doing whatever he can. Firefighters come by and they said, Sir, Look at this building. Nobody could have survived. And he said, either help me or leave me alone, but I am going to find my son. If he's dead or alive, I'm going to find my son. So he began to dig for two hours, for three hours, for four hours. Paramedics, they began to show up on the scene. They said, sir, there's nobody here. We need your help elsewhere. Please help us dig elsewhere. He said, no, my son is in this building. I will keep digging. Either help me or leave me alone, but I will find my son. So six and seven and eight and nine hours straight, this man began to dig and to dig for his son and others began to come by parents and family members they said we we know that you're grieving we're all grieving in one and four minute span 25,000 people died he said we're so sorry about your son he said either help me or leave me alone but I'm going to continue to dig and for 10 hours and 12 hours and 14 hours 16 hours 24 hours had gone by and more people showed up they said it's over it's been 24 hours we haven't heard a sound we haven't seen anybody here please give up the search he said I Either help me or leave me alone. He began to dig for 26 and 28 and 36 hours later. He lifts up a piece of cement and pushes it back. And there in the darkness, he sees 12 sets of little eyes. And then out of that dark pit, he hears the voice of his son. Dad, I knew you'd come for me. I told him you were coming. I said, don't worry, my dad, he's coming for us. He said, dad, there's 12 of us. And I'm telling you that God is coming for you. I'm telling you, God won't abandon you. I'm telling you this morning, wherever you find yourself, God says, I'm running for you. I'm coming for you. And I'm coming with my love. I'm coming with my peace. I'm coming with my hope. I'm coming with my joy. I'm coming with my gladness. I'm coming for you to help you to change your life. But today, the decision is this. You don't have to be afraid of the flat line. Today, if you receive Jesus, old things can be passed away. Behold, all things can become new. But the decision is yours this morning. The decision to receive him. His love is chasing you down. It's a reckless kind of love. It's a messy kind of love. that says, I take you where you're at, but I love you so much, I won't leave you where you're at. That's what God's love does. So this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to ask everybody to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed, but hearts wide open. Because I believe that God is speaking this morning. Some of you have been waiting for God to give you a sign. You've been reaching out to him. And I'm telling you, God sent a mailer. God sent a flyer. God showed you a sign that you had passed for four months on Blossom Hill. And you finally saw that banner out there. And you said, we should go to that church. 
And God's voice sounds like mine this morning because he's trying to tell you he loves you. He's trying to tell you you've been running and you're trying all kinds of stuff. But he wants you to receive him. So this morning, I want to ask you a question. If you know that there is a day where you've asked Jesus to be your savior, you know you're born again. Would you slip up your hand and say, yes, I've made that decision. Is that you? Would you slip up that hand? Oh, amen. Amen. All right, thank you. You may put your hands down. There was a half the room raised their hand and said, yes, Jesus is my Jesus. He's my forgiver. He's my friend and he's my future. But half the room could not raise their hand, which breaks my heart, but also gets me excited because I believe that you're ready to make that decision. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to invite you to pray a prayer with me to ask Jesus into your heart. If you're ready, if you're ready to say, Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to do what Nicodemus didn't do at that moment. I'm ready to receive you as my savior. I'm ready to, to no longer fear that flat line. I'm ready to receive you. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pray out loud. I'll pray the prayer and you just repeat after me. And it's not the magic of the words, but it's your heart that believes. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. Here's what we'll do. We're all going to pray it together for the benefit of those who are coming to God for the first time and the benefit of those who are coming back to God after a long time. So here, let's pray this prayer. Ready? Here we go. Dear God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for my sin. I want to ask forgiveness for the wrong that I've done. I want to invite your son Jesus into my heart so that I no longer fear the flat line. I now want to have old things passed away so that the new can come. I receive you now in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer, would you just slip up your hand so we could see that? Can we celebrate with those that ask Jesus into their heart and celebrate with them? Because that's what it's all about. It's not about a food truck, jump house. It's about you finding Jesus, and it's about you no longer fearing the flat line. Let's sing and let's worship God together in this place. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.